Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Greetings, guten tag, salutations, hallo, or whatever else you say hello, and welcome to VFTR 2.0. I am Chad, coming to you from, once again, now my living room in the cave upstairs, so we'll call it The Attic. And I am joined by, of course, the co-host with the mostest, my good buddy, we call him around here, Big Baby Daddy Diesel. Thanks, Cadillac. It's nice to be back after a week off, and I have a mouthful of royalty because I just crowned another tooth this morning. So, look at me. Look at me. Second time I've gotten a crown and podcasted for you guys in the same day. So, like, I, I'm committed. Show or I should be on, committed. Baby. Or I should be committed, one of the two. I don't know. Eh. Potato, potato, tomato, potato. All the same thing. Let's call the whole thing off. Yeah, let's call the whole thing off. All right, see you later then. This is the end of VFTR 2.0. Catch you all next week. Jokes, jokes, folks. We're just jumping right into that first segment. We're not messing around with anything else because it was a big, big wrestling weekend. So let us start. Hashtag TRT. I don't have a sound effect for this anymore because I keep forgetting to make one. One of these days, I'll have a new sound effect, folks. I'll get there. But yes. We are covering hashtag Forbidden Door. I don't. I think that was. I don't know what the hashtag was. I didn't watch the broadcast because guess what, folks? I was fucking there, so I didn't get to see what the hashtag was, and I just got to enjoy the show. But Diesel was not. He watched it on pay per view. So we have two, you know, different perspectives on the show as a whole, and we're gonna go through and review it. Did I watch it on pay per view? I can't really say that I did, but I watched it. Anyways, and I didn't watch it live this time because I was away for the weekend. That's why I did not join Chad. And when I got home on Sunday, I was exhausted from driving all day. And I just decided I don't feel like staying up until midnight to watch wrestling and be upset again because it was a long show. I'll get a good night's sleep and watch it while I'm supposed to be working on Monday morning. So that's what I did. And I think I enjoyed it better that way because... It was, I wasn't as tired as I would have been. So anyways, I didn't watch the buy-in either, but Chad was there for it. And that's another interesting thing. This is the first time we've ever been able to do a review of a show where our perspectives are totally different with him being in the crowd and me seeing the broadcast. I'm sure there, we're going to have different thoughts about different things. So I'm interested because we haven't even discussed anything Besides the fact, oh, there's one thing we discussed. I texted Chad after I was done watching it, is how kind of lame it was that they ended Forbidden Door the same way they ended Dynamite and Rampage, which we were both at last week, with just a giant ass brawl. Like, what the fuck is this? The three shows in a row in less than a week that just end with a brawl. It's like it's too much, too much. It also felt well, and we can talk about it more when we actually get there. But it felt really weird to be coronating an interim champion 
and then finish on a plug for your Wednesday show. Like everyone who's at that show and probably who bought the pay-per-view fucking knows blood and guts is on Wednesday. None of us need to be sold anymore. Like just, you should have just had Moxley and Tana standing in there in the middle of the ring, Moxley holding the belt up and then a handshake between the two. And that's how you close the pay-per-view. Like maybe do that like brawl stuff for us like live fans. I, I shouldn't. I wouldn't put that on the pay per view, honestly. Yeah, um, it would have probably been better with like the handshake, and then that's it. Because this is the first show of hopefully many more. I know there's already talks for a second one, and we'll 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 talk about that stuff when we're done with the show. But uh, reviewing the show. But anyways, let's get into the buy-in, which I said I did not watch, but I have the card up ahead of me, so. I can discuss this with Chad. So the first match of the buy-in was are they they call Bushiman? It was Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi, and they faced off against the Factory, which was Aaron Solo and QT Marshall. And what did you think of this match? Was it good? Was it was it a good match? It was actually quite a fun match, and. Honestly, crowd fucking hot as hell right away. A, QT Marshall is over as fuck and hated. Oh my God. Like when he came out the entire, and like at this point of the show, I would say probably only maybe half to two thirds of the crowd had filtered in. Like it was still pretty empty for like people getting in there. And also I guess quick sidebar, ding. Once again, I don't have the bell up here. So ding. Humans, we have to be better. Okay, getting into the show, there were multitudes of gates that we could have gotten in at the United Center. Didn't matter what gate any of us went in with our tickets, then you just had to go find your seats, whatever. Us as humans, and we perpetrated as well, created these massive lines for no fucking reason and stood in line for half an hour to get into the actual like arena. Fun fact about that. It's because wrestling fans are all sheeps. Yeah, we are true. Yeah, and the best part about this is fucking the guy Aesop Mitchell came to the show with us. Uh, Shout out to Aesop. And he wasn't with us. He like drove separately and met us at the show. So he came and found us in line. And he comes to find us in this line. And he's like, oh, hey, guys, I'm pretty sure like around the corner where our seats actually are, there's a gate and there's no one at it. And I think we can get in there. And you know what all of us did? We went, I don't know, man. What if we can't get in? So you know what we did? We stood in the fucking line until we got around to that gate that Aesop called out and there was no one at it. We literally could have walked around the building walked to our seats immediately, and instead of having to rush, because also, shout out to Brett, Brainbuster boy Brett, he, the whole time we're in line, really fucking loves Yoshihashi. I don't know why. I really don't. But loves him. And every few minutes ago, dude, are we going to get in there before the show starts? I don't want to miss Yoshihashi. And I'm not joking. I don't want to miss Yoshihashi. And we're like, Brett, it'll be fine. It'll be fine, Brett. But we could have avoided all of it had we just listened to Aesop. So, did you make it in time so Brett could see Yoshihashi? We did. We did make it to our seats in time. We saw the entrances. We were in our seats before the entrances actually went off. We had time to get a beer at, once again, terrible service. 
please, whoever's hiring concession workers for these arenas, I know it's hard to hire people. I really do. I work in the service industry, but please, 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 upon anything and everything, get some goddamn people who could do their jobs better. Once again, just, ah, I hate it. I hate it. But this match, great match. Really actually loved this match. The it, You could see that Yoshihashi and Goto both were like hyped up because this is the first time they're in front of crowds that can actually make noise now, probably since the pandemic started or close to. And so you could see that the crowd like getting behind them and cheering them really ramped them up. And when QT, QT went for or went for a 450, beautiful 450, missed it. Like crowd was hot, a lot of fun in the match, great way to open it. And I would give this a solid three stars. Solid three stars. So uh, that's that's pretty good for uh buy-in match. Yeah, it um, really see, got the crowd going, like hot, hot. I see that Yoshihashi and Goto performed a power bomb, spinning headlock, elbow drop combo on solo for the win. It did. Cool, that sounds pretty awesome. I don't know. I just power bomb GTR kind of thing. I just didn't want to add that extra hour just for the buy-in. And I know there was like people that I like from New Japan that or like even New Japan people on the card or whatever. But anyways, the next match was Lance Archer versus Nick Camarato. And uh this one's weird because from what I heard is Lance Archer was more used as like the new Japan star for this match. Cause it's forbidden door, even though he's signed with AEW and everybody knows that he's AEW's person that usually takes the pin, just like last week on dynamite. It was obvious he was taking the pin in that main event. Yeah. I, uh, first thing, everybody dies is so good. Live. Like did, like we saw him live, right? Like we saw him there. It just didn't have it didn't hit as hard though. I guess the bigger arena and having Pyro when he came out and then the like everyone dies like scream that erupted from the United Center. Just it was nuts. It he was really over. And the the worst thing about this match, the way it started. So uh Camarado tried to attack um Archer as he was getting into the ring. And so Archer battled him off and then went for a springboard. And when he did, he somersaulted and landed right on his fucking head. And it looked bad, like really bad. And all of us, I was sitting with Tom, high five Tom from VGM, Aesop Mitchell, Brett from the Brain Buster Boys, and JCB from Band from Ringside. So clearly great, great crew to be with and enjoy the show. But we all saw this happen, looked at each other and was like, fuck, is this show actually cursed? Like, is this everything bad going to happen tonight? Thankfully, though, Archer got up totally fine. This was another, like, fun match. Like, I had Camarado, like, he, I go back and forth on basically everyone in the factory, but I think he might be my favorite one throughout the entire group. It wasn't a squash match at all. Like, Camarado got some offense in, but then Larcher, or Larcher, Lance Archer ended up <laughs> just, you know... <laughs> wrecking him i'm calling him larcher from now on so but then and then he hit everybody dies the big you know inverted fall away slam kind of thing and on a big guy like camarado impressive as fuck to see live and we were we were up in the 300 section so we weren't that close though the united center is pretty awesome like you can see 
has great seating basically everywhere. And we had a direct, because we were on the end of a row. So we had a direct line to the ring. So our seats were great. So shout out to High Five Tom. Uh, this match, I will give a solid 2.75. Okay, okay. So uh to comment on your the entrance of Archer and you asked about when we saw him last week, I think the difference between this match and that match was he was in the main event with uh Chris Jericho, John Moxley, and Tanahashi. I think like I think the buzz to see Tanahashi wrestle kind of like took the air out of his sails and everybody knew that Tanahashi couldn't lose this match. John Moxley couldn't lose this match and Chris Jericho couldn't lose this match. He was there strictly to be the guy who gets pinned, which he's been like pretty much his whole AEW run, which is sad, but I'm glad they gave him this one here, even though it's against the guy that's definitely in the AEW psychology is on a lower level than Lance Archer, which Lance Archer isn't really on that high of a level anymore. Yeah, no, it was a fun little thing. And once again, crowd totally loving Lance Archer. So once again, you could just see this, this crowd was great. Don't get me wrong. I don't love Chicago in general, but you see you have a wrestling show there and you put on a good wrestling show. You ain't getting a better crowd basically anywhere in the world because fucking A, man, they are nuts. We had ourselves a time. Okay, well, the next match was Swerve in Our Glory because Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland, they took on Suzuki Goons, El Desperado, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. And, yeah, how would you think of this match? Because this match would have been one that I would have been really looking forward to, especially for a buy-in match. Um, yes, the this match was, once again, all three of these buy-in matches – these are the kind of matches that make me go, maybe I should take the time and always watch the buy-ins because these are great matches, all three of them. Let me stop you because the last buy-in, I don't even think there was a match on it. Um, That's fair. So, like, sometimes they have, like, multiple matches on the buy-ins. Sometimes they'll only do, like, they pull the WWE and just do the one. But I think for Double or Nothing, they didn't even have a match on the buy-in. So, yeah, this would and like I don't think they've ever had four on the buy-in before either. So, no. yeah, this is like so, a little mini show. This felt like a rampage, like a really good rampage or something like that. This buy-in, it was because it was balls to the wall too. That was the other thing that I'll mention about this is it was one after another. There was like no and nothing between any of these matches. I don't know what they did like for the actual you know pay per view or the show or anything like that. But for us in the live crowd, it was bam, 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 bam. Just one after another. The match finished. They'd celebrate in the ring for a minute. They'd walk out. Next entrance music hitting. People are getting in the ring, and we're getting more action. Like It like really just set a breakneck pace to begin this show. This match was, I think, the most surprising on the whole buy-in. Because I honestly kind of thought this might be a little bit of a squash. The way this whole match was, like, how it was constructed with Kanemaru and Desperado. Yeah, suzuki Goon's awesome, and we love them if you love New Japan and everything like that. But they are, even in New Japan, besides Despy's, you know, Super Junior run and thing like that, they are definitely the lower tier of New Japan superstars. So, like, I thought this uh -huh. might be a glorified kind of squash match. But this match started with Kanemaru just 
God love him. And if you want to see some like really good Kanemaru action, go watch his old Noah stuff. Doesn't look anything the same, but God can that guy fucking go. And he has some just charisma. Him and Keith Lee set up for a test of strength. And right away, Kanemaru like can't reach. So he jumps up onto the turnbuckle sitting there. And then they set up for the test of strength. And then, of course, Kanemaru cheats and kicks him in the face and sets it off. And then Despi and Kanemaru kind of ran this match for a little while after a swerve mistimed. Uh, swerve accidentally kicked out Keith Lee's knee, who was on the turnbuckle, and knocked him off when he was going for a move on Despi. And they kind of, you know, ran the match for a good little bit. And it kind of looked like Despi and Kanemaru were going to get the win. They both had their submissions on them in the middle of the ring. Keith Lee managed to fight out of that. But then Kanemaru hit him with a whiskey spit and got one of the closest two counts I have ever seen with a schoolboy. I really, everyone in the crowd really thought they were about to get the win. And fucking Brett to my right, who's sitting right next to me, is all in on Despi and Kanemaru winning. So he's just going nuts over here next to me. Even with JCB, JCB was also going nuts for him because they're even huge NJPW guys. So they were rooting for NJPW hard. But yeah, then the actual end of the match came with, okay, this, you actually, I don't know if you look this up, just this little spot. Swerve hits a three move little thing on Despy right near the uh, ropes where he hits like a springboard mic check and another move. I can't remember what the middle move is, but then, so when he hits the mic check or whatever he calls it now, where he kicks the guy with like the back kick, I always call it the mic check. Uh, he kicks him and Despy falls out of the ring, but catches his feet on the middle rope. So he's like perfectly balanced there for like one second. And with the most expert timing ever, Swerve jumped to the top rope and then double stomped his ass from the top rope to the outside. And you know, I don't like that double stomp move in general. I think it looks really like cliche, but the way that they did it, and even from being like in the 300 section up, like on the third tier, you could see how perfectly it was timed. And Despy's feet just catching the bottom rope actually looked like, hey, that could happen. Like as you were falling out of a ring, like dazed. And then I Keith said Lee hit. that move, that move when you do it, you can do it correctly. It's just never done correctly. And it looks hokey and stupid. Like you can make it look legitimate. It just never really is. Like there, uh, it was CM Punk versus I forget who it was. I think it might have been Randy Orton at WrestleMania, where uh, he did the double stomp, and it actually made sense. Yeah, if the double stomp makes sense, cool as hell move. But if you're holding yourself up there, just staring at him, waiting for you him to stomp on your chest, that makes no sense. That's why I love Drew McIntyre. Always just lets go and then just you know falls back. Like a badass. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Keith Lee hit. Uh, what's I think Big Bang the, Catastrophe. Big Bang Catastrophe. Yeah, I was like, it's not, it wasn't the Spirit Bomb because he hit his other finisher. Big Bang Catastrophe. And once again, Keith Lee, Swerve, over as fuck. I can't wait to see this feud between the two of them. It is going to be just awesome. And I thought, it, I really thought it might pop off. But I guess it was the buy-in. So they didn't want to do anything too big. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna happen on Rampage. I'm calling it. It's not even gonna happen on Dynamite. It's gonna happen on Rampage, but that's okay. Um, what would you star rate this? This was my favorite match on the buy-in, and I would give this three point five. Okay. Uh, next, it says uh, Team Taz 
set up uh, another match with uh, uh, Swerve in our glory. Yep. Fun um, fact: so, uh, Ricky Starks and Hobbs were literally in the like luxury box right below where we were sitting. And when they like came on the mics, like the spot like hit like all our like seats because it was like going down to them, and I was like, ah! <laughs> it really caught us off guard. We didn't know what the fuck was happening because we couldn't see him, obviously. After that, the final match, the buy-in was Max Caster, accompanied by Anthony Bowens and the Gun Club. Um, they faced, I don't know how to say his name. Uh, yeah, you say the LA New Japan Dojo. That's how they were literally introduced to us. Yuya, Yumura, and LA Dojo, Alex Coughlin, the DKC, and Kevin Knight. Yeah. This match, the so Max Caster, a fucking amazing on the mic. Just I love came, Max Caster. Yeah, no, his uh, little pre-match ramp or pre-match rap was awesome, hilarious, and just I, I he gets better each and every week. And their shtick with the ass boys and everything like that, absolutely hilarious. And then before the match started, the Titan Tron blows up and comes on with fucking Dan Housen on there, going, "Oh, ass boys, hello! I have a present for you since it's Forbidden Door, a new entrance song." And he played a like a modified version of I'm an ass man from Billy Gunn's old WWE run, but with We're the Ass Boys. And they just lost their shit and left the ring. So it was then two on four. It was Billy Gunn and Caster versus all four of the LA or uh LA New Japan Dojo boys. And they got smoked. Like, this match was so, like, I looked at everyone, I was like, I'm going to go get a beer before the show starts. Because, like, I already know what's going to happen here. Only thing I really want to say about this match is, A, Billy Gunn is fucking massive. You don't realize how big Billy Gunn is until you see him in the ring with other people, and it looks like he is a man among boys. Like, he was so big. We've we've seen that several times now. The first time I actually... Now, I saw him wrestle when I was like 12 years old when he was Intercontinental Champion. I just saw him wrestle against Chris Benoit, which is kind of cool. But uh, I didn't realize it then when I was a kid because you don't think about that. Uh, but like when we saw him at his table at uh, StarCast and he stood up and I was just like, good God, this man is huge. Like cause for some reason, you always think that he was like six foot, like an average like male no he's a big monstrous man and uh yeah and it's cool because we, we've seen um russell last year when uh it was the main event of aew dynamite. or dynamite last year or whatever yeah yeah what a, what a, what a main turn. event we got that first time yeah, right well anyways uh Matt so it's, it's got the win that, yeah, Max Caster performed the mic drop on DKC for the victory. I'm guessing this is like nothing. Uh, I'll I'll give it a I'll give it a two stars just for the opening shenanigans because they were absolutely hilarious. Uh, the rap was great, and then the whole Danhausen stick was fun. I mean, there were some cool spots in the match, but yeah, I, I went up and got a beer. I knew the show was about to begin, and I was like, this will be a good time. Okay, now we're moving on to the main card where I can actually start commenting on stuff because I saw every match on the main card. All right, before we start, though, what was your pick to open the show? 
Because this is this was our big debate we were having before the show actually kicked off. You see, I never really thought about it after we had the debate. I didn't know what kicked off the show. I actually did a really, really good job of avoiding spoilers. Like, it was really hard. I kept on finding myself, like, like clicking onto Facebook. And before it loaded all the way up, I'm like, no. And, like, I remember I did a pretty good job. I even went to bed a little earlier on Sunday night so then I could sleep and then wake up in the morning and watch. Um, I don't know. I kind of thought it would have been the tag team match. But I think that's what we talked about last week, too. Yeah. Or two weeks. Or No, we talked we about it. <laughs> no, I don't think we even talked about it on the show. I think we just talked about it amongst each other. Oh, oh when we were at Dynamite? Yeah. Well, that's possible. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I thought it was going to be the tag team match the for the yeah winner take all for the titles. But uh, I wasn't mad that it started out with uh, Jericho Appreciation Society versus basically the Blackpool Combat Club. It's kind of weird. I'm, I'm confused. Are uh, Santana Ortiz and Eddie Kingston, are they in the Blackpool Combat Club? Because they're associated and, like, at Blood and Guts, they're, like, under that moniker. It's... Like, they're not officially in there, but, like, I don't know. It's, it's very confusing, right? Yeah, it's a little weird. It's it's odd. I don't know. Yeah, you could definitely tell that they wanted to not have, um, what's his name, uh, Brian Danielson injured here. So they could have had just Eddie Kingston as the fifth member and not had to have Santana Ortiz. Because Eddie Kingston is clearly not in the Blackpool Combat Club because he's a madman. Guy's insane. Um. So, anyways, so this match... I thought it was a really good match to start off the card. And I wasn't super pumped when, like, I realized this was the match that was starting off the card because, I don't know, it's they've been doing a lot with this rivalry and plus having fun guts this week on Dynamite. It's kind of... It's getting a little too much, and after blood and guts, I hope that, like, it cools down and they go different directions, but they probably won't because... It's just that's how wrestling is. It's a lot of injuries. Um, but this match from the broadcast perspective was well, first of all, before the match even started, like I said, I didn't watch any of the buy-ins. So when I start the show, I see the commentary team as Kevin Kelly, Excalibur, and Taz, which I'm like, interesting choice because I just thought they were gonna just go with their normal AEW team. And I'm like, Taz makes no sense here. Kevin Kelly makes perfect sense here. I'm glad to see Kevin Kelly announcing a show on like a huge stage, like an American wrestling show on a huge stage like this. Because last time he's probably uh, commentated on a show like this was probably in WWE. So, yeah, it was nice to see Kevin Kelly. Uh, Taz... He's losing it. He's like Jr. Jr. And it's he's not as bad as Jr. But there's times it's just like, dude, why are you even on here right now? Like, anyways, the match was great. It, uh, yeah, it was right away pretty like uh, brawly, I guess. Uh, oh yeah, they just were going at each other. Um. Biggest pop I like so far. Like as I said, the crowd was super hot. 
when uh, Minoru Suzuki came into the ring on the tag uh, to face Eddie Kingston, I thought the place might actually rip itself apart for a second because we were losing our minds. And don't get me wrong, Murder Grandpa Strikes, I'm sure, hurt way more. But Eddie Kingston, holy shit, man. That guy hits like a frying pan. The reverberations and sounds that come off of his chops when he was hitting Suzuki, just fuck. So uh, that moment when Suzuki tagged in, like watching it from the broadcast perspective, you could you could feel it. Like you, you could hear it. Like I've said many, many times, the best crowd in all of wrestling is Chicago. And like I feel awesome that I've been a part of it with like All In. I've been cool to be at this show too, but like you could feel it like through the TV. Like, and this crowd was super jacked the whole entire time. And that's why they did this show in Chicago because it is the best crowd. But like I yeah, those chops were nasty. I, I really liked the like hype up before the chops when Eddie Kingston was like psyching himself up and like ready to go because this is what everybody wanted to see. They want to see these two guys because that's the like commentary put over the only reason. Uh, Suzuki was on uh, the Jericho Appreciation Society side. Miss Jericho asked him, "Do you want to beat up Eddie Kingston?" And Suzuki replied with, "Yes." So, like, <laughs> that makes awesome. perfect sense. So, yeah. So, <laughs> it was. It was a. It was a really, really good match. I really liked the end where they basically, you know. Came in there, he took out Guevara and Suzuki, and then Jericho hit him with the Judas effect to win. Like, Yumino, I haven't seen much from him. Like, literally, the only stuff that I really knew about him was his stuff with when he was Young Lion in uh, the Kenny Omega Chris Jericho match. Um, Did they put when... over the fact that Chris Jericho beat the shit out of him as a Young Lion? Oh, yeah, no, no. Nice. Kevin Kelly. Good. Chet, Kevin Kelly was on commentary, okay? Yeah. You're getting all the details up until about halfway through the show, and I'll get into that later. But Kevin Kelly, it was so refreshing watching an AEW show with, like, the best, like, short of Marl Ronaldo, like, Kevin Kelly's the best. And, like, it was so refreshing having this guy that has energy and is excited about wrestling and knows his shit about American wrestling and Japanese wrestling. And he can combine because he's called, like, all these matches for all these guys over the years from, like, WWE, Ring of Honor. It was just so awesome. It made the show so much better. And we'll get into later why it kind of got fucked over. But anyways, this match is awesome. There were some near falls in this match that really, like, when Umino kicked out of the first Judas effect, like, we were like, oh, this match is over. And then he kicked out of it, and then he went on that run. Like, that little bit, we all, like, as the crowd, were like, oh, fuck, are they going to give this kid the rub? And there was another, oh, when Wheeler Yuta got taken out on the outside, because watching this match live, this match was chaos. There was shit going on everywhere. And also, fucking Ty Conti is out there as well, like with the bat fucking around in a glittery-ass dress, so she catches your eye every few seconds, and then you miss something in the ring. But yeah, no, when he fired up, when Umino fired up and was wrecking everybody for a little bit, and then had... Chris Jericho in the walls of Jericho. I don't know if broadcast caught it, 
But Minoru Suzuki was jef- definitely just on the outside staring at this. And I'm glad they put over the fact that he was just there to fight Eddie Kingston because that makes so much more sense. Because, yeah, why would he give a fuck if Chris Jericho is going to tap out in the middle of the ring? It doesn't matter to Minoru Suzuki. So I thought this was a pretty fire curtain jerker. I gave it four stars. I I was actually going to say I was going to go three, seven, five. But then as I was just rolling it around in my head, because I'm doing these star ratings on the fly, people, I don't have anything written down in front of me. I'm actually going to go four stars as well. I like that. I think it was I think it was a great opener. And to go back to my first point, I was pretty sure I thought they were going to open with Bullet Club versus Sting, Darby Allen. And uh, who was with them now? Oh, uh, Shingo. Dudes with attitudes. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll get it. We'll get into that when we get to that match. Um, The next match was a match that I was super excited for because I think, at least for me, the most over thing in 2022 has been FTR. And they've only been like super over since like March. Like they started like, I mean, they're, they're always great, but all like their face turn. Like they have like skyrocketed. Like they are so fucking good right now. They're like, I love them as faces, and I never thought that they would be very good faces. I think they might be better faces than they are heels. That's saying a lot. That is saying a lot. So, like, I was really excited for this match. I am so like behind FTR. Um, yeah, so this match was the winner take all for the Ring of Honor uh, Tag Team Championships and the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championships, and that was FTR, Rapungi Vice, and United Empire's Great Khan and Jeff Cobb. And we also got Caprice Coleman on the commentary. Uh, commentary team with them for this match. So you had Kevin, Kelly, and Caprice Coleman, old friends, old commentator partners. So, I mean, that was really cool. It was – but this match – like, oh, my God, right away, like, when uh, Dax got hurt. Like, okay. so so supposedly, that was legitimate. Like, he I'm going to tell you. It was- no, no. So, we are watching this match, obviously. We, all five of us, see Dax go down, and we all go, oh, fuck. Like, once again, this show was kind of cursed for injuries. Like, everybody kept getting fucking hurt left and right for this show. And, like, seeing him go down... We like watched him walk all the way to the back. And as he's walking to the back along the like rampway, as he makes that turn, he actually fell down and like fell to his knees and had to be helped up. And we all saw this and the crowd like just lost all energy altogether. You could tell everyone was freaking out over what had happened to Dax this whole time. And the five of us are all talking about this now and like paying attention to the match still kind of, but this is all we're talking about. And Tom's like, it's a work. And all the rest of the four of us are like, I don't think it's a work, man. So I, I mean, it's something that they would do as a work. Um, It's a really good baby face heat and everything like that. But like, yeah, he went down and like, I kind of thought also it was a work because then the way the match went with where, uh, Cash Wheeler basically like had to play the role of fighting both of these teams and like he was getting his ass kicked and then eventually Rapungi Vice kind of like helped him out against uh, the United Empire but like like 
Cash Wheeler, like I've been giving a lot of credit to Dax Harwood these last like couple of weeks, like, but like Cash Wheeler has been holding his own as well. Like we saw him last week on Rampage face Jeff Cobb in like an excellent match. Like this, like these guys can fucking wrestle, and like they, I don't think they've ever really got the credit that they were due ever. And like even since they've been in uh, AEW, even like of how good of like professional wrestlers they are. Like they're always just credited as how good of a tag team they are, but like they're really good on their own. But this match, like with all that going on and the fact like the pre-match uh, promo video with Rapungi Vice saying like, we don't have anything to lose. He's like, the only thing we can do is win. And like, it's like, that's awesome because I, I never thought that they were actually going to win, but I also thought, but like, what if, because they were Rapungi Vice. Like I've always been a big fan of Rapungi Vice. And then it was great like, to see their entrance live. I won't lie. My whole like I knew deep down FTR had to win this match, and I really wanted him to win this match. The whole time I'm like, is it gonna be United Empire? Are they gonna be the Ring of Honor champions? Is this how we're gonna start like Ring of Honor with them as the champions and the feuding with FTR? So I'd be in for that. But like the best story was what happened. But then when uh Dax came back out. See, this is why it's like works perfectly as a work because we've seen it so many times, but it was legit, you know. And like, I don't know, it just when he came out, you were there, and like I heard the pop, and like oh, I it, like pop. The place went electric. It it, it and like, like as I said, the everything because he's sucked they're over, the they're so fucking over. Yeah, like and like you couldn't even book this spot any better, and it was a total like real life thing that happened, and like it made the match that much better, and. If I would have realized at the time that it was legit and it wasn't a work, I probably would have bumped this up, this match up like a quarter star, maybe a half star. But like, yeah, this match was tag team excellence. Maybe not the best tag team match. I would take uh, FTR versus the Young Bucks or FTR versus the Briscoes at the last army of our show over this match, but I like this match. It was awesome to see the big rig again, because it feels like it's been a while since they've hit the big rig. So, and with them to win it and just like, how cool was it to see them celebrate with three tag team championships and and none of them are AEW tag team champions the the company that they wrestle for but like they're just they're, they're decorated in all this gold and all this happened after they got rid of Tully Blanchard so uh was I mean I guess back. they were AAA champions but yeah this yeah FTR like right now they're my favorite thing about professional wrestling is FTR and they're like Somehow they're rising in the ranks for tag teams of all time for me. And, like, I mean, they're always kind of up there. But, like, I always kind of, like, felt like they fell into this place and they weren't going to get any higher until this face run. Like, they're up there. They're, like, really, like they're top three all time for me right now. Yeah, they shattered the glass ceiling. So, quick question about broadcast. Did broadcast catch that Rocky Romero actually won that match? Oh, Yeah. I mean, they obviously Kevin Kelly did his thing. Like, it looked like his hand went down, but it didn't. You know, oh, like, it did. Oh, it 100% oh, no, went no, no, down. No, 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 no
because like you know how they have the mics around the ring like when his hand went down and Paul Turner went one two three and then did it and then said no he counted all three too oh yeah like yeah, oh, yeah. No, no. there's a huge then, you fucked up chant yeah, that went the, off. You fucked up chant, and then he got the you fucked up chant later. And Paul Turner just looks at the crowd like, "Come on, guys, seriously." Like, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Uh, like Kevin Kelly tried to like be like, "Oh, like it was it was a close one," but he he didn't really like. Oh no, that was great. And then so did broadcast catch after the match. I'm sure they didn't because they just were. I'm sure showing FTR celebrating, but Rocky and Trent got into it with Paul Turner. Like Rocky and Trent were over there just eviscerating Paul Turner on the outside of the ring, and we were all laughing about that. No, that's something they didn't show. Just like uh, in Dynamite, they didn't show Christian like chorusing Luchasaurus to go up the heel tunnel, uh, which they, they should put that on TV because like it adds to the story of what like what he's trying to do. But that, that has nothing to do with this. Like, yeah, but still, I'm interested in that storyline. Uh, anyways no match was great loved everything about it i've as i said the act all the energy was sucked out of the crowd when dax got hurt like it was odd like it felt like you could feel the whole crowd going this show is cursed this show is cursed this show is cursed and everyone was just like looking around at each other like going what's gonna happen next what's the next bad thing and then when he came back down that ramp like man yeah, that crowd, like, it was hard not to just be, like, in the moment about everything. Like, I don't even think, I took very few pictures. I was just so, like, jacked about being at the show and everything was going on. I'd give this uh, a solid 4.25. I'd say the in-ring action was pretty much just probably as good as the first match, but just the whole thing with Dax and them celebrating and then the actual fuck-up by Paul Turner, it just all added. So I'd say 4.25. I have it as four stars from after watching it. But like I said, after like knowing what I know about like the shoulder injury being legitimate and that wasn't a work, it like adds to the match, especially since uh, to steal a line from the great McFoley, the intestinal fortitude of Dax Harwood, like coming back out there after separating his shoulder and like winning that match, I think that uh, yeah, I would bump it up to a four point two five as well. Nice, nice. Glad you glad you agree. And next, we had a backstage segment with Tony Schiavone interviewing Juice Robinson and Jay White, and Juice Robinson basically just said that he's still the IWGP United States Champion. He never lost the belt, and the winner of Will Ospreay versus Orange Cassidy is just the number one contender. And yeah, and then that's basically what that promo was. JY was just there because they're bull club. Yeah. I uh, didn't see this promo because I went and got the beers. And to well, use the bathroom. And well, that's what happened. Um, but then after that, was the inaugural AEW All-Atlantic Championship four-way match between Pac, uh, Clark Connors, who was replacing Ishii, which I'm sure you guys were bummed about. Uh, Super bummed about it to start the match, but yeah, as we'll talk about during the match, but Clark Connors quickly became a fan favorite. He was, dude, it was crazy. It was wild stuff. Uh, and also Miro and Malachi Black were in this match. 
Um, I still haven't really decided how I feel about Clark Connors, to be honest with you. Like, I don't know. At times, I liked him in the best of the Super Juniors. Other times, they're just like, meh. But, I mean, I don't hate the guy, but the jury's still out on him for me. But uh, this match was pretty good. I had, going into this match, I was fairly certain that Miro was going to win. I just felt like Miro was going to win, and I knew for a fact that Clark Connors was not. Because <laughs> that, that would have been a weird uh, uh, twist of events right there if Clark Connors was the first All-Atlantic championship out of nowhere. Or champion out of nowhere. But, uh, I mean, this match was pretty good. It was all over the place. They did the typical, like, one-on-one, like, fatal four-way kind of style. Like, two guys are brawling outside of the ring or they're wrestling outside of the ring. And it was constant, like, one-on-one in the ring. And I really liked the end of the match with the Miro almost tapping out pack. And Malachi Black coming in and hitting him with the mist. And then no selling the blackout, which I thought was very, very interesting. Like, that was, like, it's been one of the strongest finishers in wrestling. And Miro gets kicked in the head and just stands there. But, uh, like, I haven't really heard anybody talk about that either. But uh, I do like the ending with uh, Pac being the one who got the win because I didn't think that he was going to be the first All-Atlantic champion, and I'm okay with it. I'm not mad about it at all, and I'd like to hear your thoughts with being in the crowd. So this was probably my favorite match of the night, and it might just because of our shenanigans. So once again, I'm sitting with the five people, and as this match is going along, Aesop and I are talking about, like, I don't think Clark Connors has gotten in a single offensive move yet because he's like, he's like, punches don't count. He's like, he actually has to hit a spot and like damage someone so as the like beginning of the match is unfolding probably like the first like five to ten minutes like Harkonnen didn't hit any offense at all I just got brutalized by Miro and everyone like all around this ring so we're all talking and we're like all right what's the over under four and a half moves that he actually gets to hit in this match and so, like, we took, we like just start talking about that. So then we're all just focused on Clark Connors. Like, is he going to get any offense in at all? And then when Malachi Black set that table up in the crowd, you can see Clark Connors was down on the absolute opposite side of the ring. Like, he'd been taken out, I think, by Malachi, honestly. So he's just laid out on the other side of the ring. So the other three of them are fighting on the other side. And in the crowd, you can see him. All of us see Clark Connors like begin to stir and like sneak around the backside of the ring. And as he like sets up to go tackle Miro through that table, we just all fucking lost our minds. And then he went on that offensive spree. And for a second, it really did look like Clark Connors might win the championship. He got a solid two count, I think on Miro. And it was like, we were losing our shit. And then that ending sequence with the black arrow, the mist, the brutalizer, and then Pac winning. Pac is one of my favorites. And I feel just... The pandemic really fucked that dude over and he was going to be such a bigger thing in AEW it felt like and then he's just been in this death triangle feud for fucking years it feels like and now he's the champion and I absolutely loved it I I think this was my favorite match on the card the crowd went absolutely nuts I mean he's like equivalent to being the European champion but yeah he, he's the first champion <laughs> That's fine. I know. I keep calling it the Pan America Championship anyways. I can't even get the name of the championship right, but I'm still glad that he actually won it. And I give this a solid four and a half stars.
Wow. Um, you're, you're definitely wearing rose-colored glasses from being there because I can't give it more than 3.75 stars. And this is an average match for this card for me. It's, it doesn't fall in the top four. It's technically in the top five because I have a couple other 375s. But, yeah. So it might not even be my highest rated match. I might rate a match higher, but this was my favorite match to see live. It was just so much fun. And, yeah, the spots in this match, just it was wild. Not saying I didn't like this match, though. I don't I – don't, I did like this match. I thought, I thought it was a good, like, choice to go with Pack, But, uh, yeah. Where does Miro I, go now? What, is, what, what are we doing with Miro now? I still feel like he – I don't know what they do with Miro. Like, they kind of bring Lana because he keeps on bringing up his gorgeous wife. Like, I something – I they got something planned with him because eventually I feel like he's going to challenge CM Punk for the AEW championship. And now they have to wait until CM Punk beats John Moxley. So he's like the hundred percent, the undisputed AEW champion and the Miro is going to be his first opponent. <laughs> All right. That's, that's, that's a thought. But it's going to be, that's not going to be until like fall at least. So I don't know. Like, Maybe I don't know. Don't put the TNT title back on him because I feel like they need to. It needs to go on Wardlow, and he needs to hold it for. Uh, he needs to have a good run with it, so he can hold it for a while. Otherwise, that title seems like it's been cursed lately. I don't know what you do with him. Maybe put him in Ring of Honor. Yeah, maybe he'll be, be the- Ring of Honor champion. What if he's the one to dethrone Jonathan Gresham? That would be pretty sick. I'm not gonna lie. Hey, there's something that that could be fun. I could see Miro as Ring of Honor champ. Well, anyway, moving on. The next match was between the dudes with attitudes. A callback from the '90s with uh, Sting and Lex Luger and uh, the Legion of Doom. I think. Uh, but this time it was Darby Allen Sting and Shingo Takagi, and with a missing Hiromo Takahashi. And yeah, I would like to know what your feelings were on the missing uh Takahashi because I didn't know that he wasn't in this match until I watched it. Yeah, we didn't. I didn't find out about it. I didn't see it on my phone until I think we were in line or at the Warrior show. I was really sad about this one. This was probably one of the saddest I was that was missing the show. I really wanted to see Time Bomb in person. He had some yeah. sweet new gear that he'd gotten like made just for this show. And yeah, just that was that was really sad that I didn't get to see him. Yeah, I was bummed not even not being there. I was bummed not seeing him in this match. But, I did love uh, that he they, tweeted out an apology to Hikaleo because since he wasn't there, Hikaleo didn't get to be in the match. But uh, they dudes with attitudes took on Bullet Club, which was Al Fantasmo and the Young Bucks, and the Young Bucks were in Bullet Club gear and came out to the Bullet Club music, and which I thought was really cool. And yeah, they were accompanied by Hikaleo, as Chad previously mentioned. 
And when the dudes with attitudes came out, well, they brought out Tony Schiavone just so he could do it. Sting and like Sting didn't come out. Like usually, you wait till Sting walks out, and like I knew that something was up when he did it when Sting didn't walk out. And I was kind of bummed for you that they didn't do the snow because yeah. like they haven't done a Sting entrance like by himself in a while, and this is the first time they didn't do the snow. I just thought it. I always wanted to be there when they did the sting entrance, but yeah, it was still really cool being there for it. I wasn't even actually in my seat for this moment. I uh, I was out using the restroom as this because I didn't know this match was next, obviously, and the lines were a little crazy. But as I found out, I heard this music started. I like ran out to like watch this in the like I don't even know what section I was in at the time. The opening of this match was nuts. Sting is sixty fucking years old. The man is out of control. <laughs> And it was uh, it was a nice little swerve with Sean uh, Sting in the rafters. I thought he was gonna like rappel down like he used to, yeah. but then no, he was on the entrance tunnel, which is probably a good fifteen feet off the ground, oh, and yeah. just dives on these four men. It's like, dude, you need to calm down with that shit. If one guy drops you, you already had a neck uh, career neck ending or career ending neck injury like <laughs> you're still wrestling at the age of like 62 I think he is yeah. and like it's yeah it's like dude I, I don't want to see this guy die I, like, I'm very impressed that he can still go in the ring but I don't want to see him like jump off something and turn into Jeff Hardy and like <laughs> dude, yeah. shout out to Hikaleo for catching Sting on that like you in the live crowd you can you saw it and you saw that Hikaleo is the one who just grabs him and like catches Sting full on taking that most of that brunt so this match was a lot of fun from the get go because it just started with everybody like brawling with everybody because of how it started with Sting diving off of the uh, set. And then also with Tony Schiavone being on commentary, I thought it was a lot of fun because I'm pretty sure this is the first time that Tony Schiavone and Kevin Kelly have ever worked together. And I thought they were a good team together because Kevin Kelly would just like put Tony Shivani in these awkward situations, especially like some of the stuff in these matches, like uh, uh, when they did the, when Sting did the titty twister and stuff like that, like they got Tony Shivani to talk about nipples and like they were getting him to talk about like nut shots and like all this stuff. And like Tony Shivani was having a blast on commentary. I haven't heard Tony Shivani have this much fun on commentary, like probably ever in my life. Like, it was one of my favorite commentary moments. Like, how much fun Tony Schiavone was having with Kevin Kelly. So that was good. But then this match was, it was what you would expect between a six-man with these competitors. But, like, it was also, it was a lot of fun. The uh, handspring back rake off with Nick Jackson and ELP, like, just to start the match. Like, it was hilarious stuff. I mean, it was classic old-school Bullet Club shenanigans matches. And I had a great time in it. Well, and then the Young Bucks got all their shit in there, like, which is always fun. And, I mean, it wasn't too long of a match. I can probably, like, look up the time since I have the card up here. How long was it? Yeah, it was 13 minutes. But uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, Takagi won with the last dragon on El Fantasmo to win the match. Um, uh, Sting forgetting the he was supposed to beat the crap out of ELP and rolling out of the ring is one of the funniest moments I've ever seen in my life. 
And it was like, damn it, Sting, you're 63 years old. Of course you forgot the spot and have to have Nick Jackson tell him to get in the ring. Um, yeah, this match was what you would expect. Like, this match was probably the most dynamite match on the entire card. Like, of all the matches, this one felt like it was dynamite. It didn't feel like it was... I mean, it was definitely forbidden door worthy, but it didn't feel performed like it was pay-per-view worthy. I don't know. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, this was definitely my probably least. Yeah, I think Dynamite, called a Dynamite main event is the best way to put it. It Besides the opening, like Sting jumping off and everything like that, this match felt like it could have been like the Rampage main event or the Dynamite main event or something along those lines. It was still a lot of fun. But yeah, it I clearly actually being there, I didn't feel like this show went long or anything like that. I'd love to know at the end if you felt it went long. But um, yeah, I'll get into that at the end. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I think this match definitely would have been a lot better if Romo was there. I think oh, yeah. that um, they would have been able to do a lot more stuff. It would have been a lot more fun. But I'm sure uh, after this match, Brett had to go and change his underwear because he got to see Shingo wrestle in person so dude Shingo is an absolute monster dude seeing him in person how was he ever a junior like how did you Japan qualify that man as a junior he didn't change he is an absolute beast standing him to see him next to all these other guys it's just like god he's big um I gave this match uh 3.25 I don't know what would you give this match I definitely give this match a three. I'm gonna say three point two five as well. That's a really good score right there. Okay, the next match is the only like all AEW match on the card, and it was for the AEW Women's World Championship between Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm. And this match didn't really do it for me. It shouldn't have been on the card. Honestly, I understand that they wanted to get women on the card. I'm all for that. They didn't need to have the AEW Women's Championship on this card. It just did not fit. And to be honest with you, it wasn't that great of a match. I was was kind of, I was kind of bummed. Like, I talked about the last one being a dynamite match. This was a rampage match. Like, this should have been like, like, I don't know. Thunder Rosa has been very underwhelming as women's champion and it's almost worse than how underwhelming or hangman was and it i don't know i I had a conversation with my brother-in-law on on saturday night about this and telling him like i really wanted them to just uh put the title on Tony Storm and go with that because Thunder Rosa isn't working and they ruined it from the get-go with all this stuff they did with Tony Schiavone, the interviews on the ramp or whatever. I just feel like it's hurting Thunder Rosa right now and I just wanted him to get I'd rather see Tony Storm as champion and like see what that would be like instead but this match happened. It was fine. Like just, I don't know. It was a I don't even really remember match. too much of this match. What? I said it was a glorified squash match. I mean, pretty much, yeah. Thunder Rosa, like, no sold half of Tony's offense, and Tony barely got anything in and then just got absolutely decimated. And, like, the match started with Thunder Rosa getting a new entrance package with the title fucking in the package. So it's like, oh, 
Well, they're obviously not taking the belt off her tonight. And yeah, this match was really underwhelming. I, I like Thunder Rosa and I really like Tony Storm. And if anything, I felt bad for Tony Storm just getting squashed. I was like, why do you have to feed? I get you screwed up Thunder Rosa, but don't feed Tony Storm to her to try and make her look better. Yeah, I don't know. It, this match got like a 2.5 for me. It just, it wasn't, I, it didn't fit this show. I was going to say 2.25, even lower because yeah. And the crowd definitely like, this felt like the deflation match. Like this, the crowd definitely was not as hot for this match. The best part was probably Thunder Rosa's new entrance gear and such like that. And actually getting to see Tony Storm come out. But getting st- watching Tony Storm just get decimated didn't feel right. Like they've built Tony Storm up and then they just kind of fed her to Thunder Rosa. The next match was Will Ospreay versus Orange Cassidy for the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship, regardless of what Juice Robinson says, because he was stripped of the title, and that's what happened. Um, And Kevin Kelly went into it. Uh, Like, Kevin Kelly... Yeah. Anyways, uh, I'm trying to think. So, I guess JR came out for the... Thunder Rosa Tony Storm match and he stayed on the rest of the show after that. I forgot to mention that. Had a big problem with that because you know what happened? It took away from so like obviously Excalibur is usually the one who like is in the role of like keeping everything together and keeping the conversation going and stuff like that. Yeah, the play by play. But like Kevin Kelly does that as well. And, like, JR always tries to do that, and he gets off track, or he says something stupid, or he says something that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Or if anybody's talking about something that he doesn't know what he's talking about, he kind of, like, makes a comment where he's, like, basically calling him a dumbass, let's move on. And, like, so then, like, he obviously doesn't hate Kevin Kelly. I mean, they've worked together and everything like that. But, like, he just kept on stepping on Kevin Kelly's toes, and it really bugged me because the second half of the show, there was a lot less Kevin Kelly and a lot more JR, which was not needed. And plus, and you had fucking Taz. Just uh, It's like, dude, it was just like, we don't need four guys, number one. Number two, you don't need Taz and JR because then it's just like, it's like, uh, so, like, yeah, like, it kind of s- subtracted, like, the total, like, joy I was feeling up into this point in the show because it was, like, come on. Like, for fucking real, I was hoping, like, JR was just going to be out there for one fucking match just like Shivani was and just like Caprice Coleman was. But, no, the motherfucker had to call the whole second half of the show in his sweatpants because he's a real professional. I mean, I'm the one to talk because I don't even wear pants anymore. But, anyways, Yeah. Back on to the match. A mini little Diesel's Dilemma right there, folks. You're welcome. Um, I'm going to be honest. I was in the minority, and I did not really... Wasn't super excited for this match, only because I just felt like it could have been a better opponent for Will Ospreay. I still kind of do feel like there could have been a better opponent for Will Ospreay. But that being said, this match was fucking awesome, and I'm glad that I was wrong. I kind of knew I was going to be wrong. Maybe I was, like, subconsciously doing reverse psychology on myself because, like, this match was fucking on fire. It was awesome. Like, when once Orange Cassidy gets to the point where he gets pissed off and, like, then he starts, like, wrestling strong style, 
It's they get good. And like Will Ospreay just annoyed the shit out of him in this match. But I mean, vice versa. Like they were both getting into each other's heads. And this was a hard hitting match. And like, I mean, I knew who was gonna win the whole time, which is fine because it's what made sense. And also they gave us a fucking banger of a match. And then like all the near falls at the end, every time there was a near fall that was really, really close, like orange Cassidy had that one where it was like, like his hand was like an inch away from the mat. Yeah. Like I thought, yeah, for real. And he kicked out like every time there was a near fall, it's like up oh, bumping this one up quarter star. And like, <laughs> It was a fucking fantastic match and off the heels of the six man tag from dynamite, which was another fantastic fucking match. I gave this match a 4.5 Will Ospreay retained. And I uh, say this one's the match of the night for me, but I'd like to hear your thoughts with being live in the crowd. Um, Yes, this is, I think the just epitome of a Chicago crowd adding to an already amazing match because everything that orange Cassidy does, like it, the crowd adds to it because they get so behind his little shit tan, like tactics and everything just to piss off Osprey. And once again, even being up in the like 300 section, you could still see just the anger on Osprey's face. And when he pulled out that middle finger, when orange Cassidy gave him the middle finger, I thought the crowd was going to absolutely tear itself apart Everyone just, the pop was huge. And then when Orange Cassie was doing the little, uh, like the fake, like little sidekicks to Will Ospreay's face, and Will Ospreay just gave him that look. And then after that, he actually kicked the fuck out of Ospreay's head. Oh, this match was great. This was everyone else's match who I was with. Match of the night, basically. I think, I think everyone, maybe Tom had a different one, but I think this was everyone's match of the night besides myself. And I already said it and I don't care. But I would definitely say this was the best wrestled match and the near falls in it. The crowd was crazy. I thought this match was over at least four times before it actually was. I was so glad to see Osprey in person. I got to see him go through his basically his whole arsenal of moves as well, which made me smile. I mean, I got was glad I got to see Stormbreaker in the end. And then the aftermatch shenanigans, just wild stuff, wild stallions. Uh, four seven five. I gave this match. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the after match shenanigans, like who thought Shibata was gonna come out to save Punky Vice and Orange Cassidy from the right. United uh, Empire? So fun fact: me, Brett, and JCB all as this match got over went to go use the restroom. Oh my and god! We're all. What should there. you have your drink before this? You're like you, you shouldn't have broken the seal before the show. Probably not, but whatever. Shit happens. So the three of us are all in the bathroom, and Shibata's music hits, and Brett just turns and fucking books it out. I don't know if he pinched it off halfway through the stream or what, but Brett was just out of the bathroom in one second. The minute he heard Shibata's music hit, and then. I uh, clearly, uh, JCB and I both finished up and then went back into the show. So getting to see Shibata, it was wild. I That was an absolute shocker. Did not see that coming at all. Shibata being there. I, I, I don't know. Is this setting up for something later? It's, it's just, I don't know. It was great. No, I, it's there. this. I thought about this when he came out. Like, this was obviously 
an AEW show. This was not a New Japan show in any way, in any form. It was Tony Khan booked the whole thing. I'm sure New Japan had like there's things like like certain things have to happen or whatever. But yeah, this this was Tony Khan being a mark for independent wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and he knows how big of a deal Shabbat is. And yeah, and he knows the crowd that was there were there because they know they weren't there because they were a casual crowd. They were there because they know their fucking shit, you know. And that's one of the reasons why he didn't really sell this show because he knew the casual fans not going to buy this pay-per-view if you're just an AEW fan you're probably like why the fuck do they have these Japanese guys on here I don't give a fuck he wasn't selling it for you guys he was selling it for the people that actually like like wrestling and marks like him that's why Shibata was on this show it had nothing to do with setting up anything it's because Tony Khan is the biggest fucking mark ever and he's like how sweet would it be if Shibata came out and he made it happen so yeah that's why that's why it happened in my opinion but that's why I like Tony Khan because he is a mark. I don't care. I think that's awesome that you have a mark running a wrestling company because that's what we kind of always wanted. We've talked about that for years. So I'm all for it. Anyways, moving on to the next match, which was supposed to be Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr., but Brian Danielson was not cleared to compete in on Dynamite. He said he had his replacement and the newest member of the Blackpool Combat Club, but wasn't going to tell us who it was until he came out on Sunday at Forbidden Door. And, like, there was speculation, and, I mean, everybody knew who it was going to be by the time it happened, but it didn't make it any less, like, gratifying or amazing that it was Claudio Castagnoli, former Cesaro in WWE, and it was awesome. The the pop he got, the smile he had on his face, like, I just, I don't understand WWE sometimes, like, did you? Do you like you were there and I just heard it on TV and I know there's a big difference like the way like the noise comes across on the broadcast they try to mute that out a little bit so you can hear the announcers but like just like all in like you can hear it you can hear the excitement there's a buzz like you can feel it coming through the screen and like the pop that this guy got walking through the fucking curtain like what the fuck is wrong with WWE? This guy should have been multiple time champion in their company. Why he never was, I will never know. But at the same time, I feel like it's never going to happen in AEW. So I don't know. Maybe it will. But I feel like he's getting up there in age, and it, like I worry that his time might have passed him for that. But I'm still, I still think it's fucking sweet that he's in AEW. But uh, oh, man, Diesel, the there wasn't a person in their seats when he walked out of that stage. It. It was probably it was the loudest the crowd was by far all night without question, and for every right reason because everyone knew it. I mean, we were all like, "All right, so it's Claudio, obviously." But God, it didn't it didn't take away anything from it being him. It was just so amazing seeing him finally come out on that stage. So then, was awesome. He gets in the ring. And immediately hits the neutralizer on Zack Sabre Jr. And there was, like, I mean, I'm be honest, there was a big part of me that thought, like, they're just going to do this. And I'm okay with it. (laughs) If he would have won right there, if you, what? I was not okay with it. If he would have won right there, I'd have been pissed. 
I would have been okay with it just because of how, like, dude, the crowd would have been okay with it. Everybody, like, they would have done something to make up for it. You know they would have. But, like, at that moment, like, with everything that was going on, I would have been okay with it. But, obviously, that wasn't the end. And, like, for the first, like, 25% of the match, uh, Claudio, like, really whooped Zack Sabre Jr.'s ass. Oh, yeah. Until uh, S or ZSJ uh, started working on his arm, which came to back in later in the match when he was trying to do the swing and, like, in the sharpshooter and, like, a whole bunch of other stuff. But, like, this match was awesome. He got all of his moves in. He got the swing in there. He got the pop-up uppercut, which is, like, an underrated move. That's his favorite move. He was He was real jacked to see it. Uh, that's one of my favorite moves. Like I've always liked that move. I, I prefer that over the pop of power bomb and I love the pop of power bomb as well, but like, I just love, well, and like the way he makes it look, it's like, literally, I mean, we've, we haven't talked about this in years. We used to bring it up all the time is it's the same exact thing as Luigi and super smash bros. Like <laughs> that's what it is. It's the uppercut. And it's like, uppercut. I don't think anybody would be able to do that move as good as Cesaro. Like he's perfected it. I'm sure he's not the originator, but he's perfected it. And like, I call him Cesaro, whatever. It's going to take a minute. I'm still calling him Daniel Bryanson all the time. So it's all good. But uh, this match was awesome. It, it was, again, what you would expect out of this match. And just commentary was just annoying me during this match. I wanted more Kevin Kelly. Like, it's just, yeah, it's like... JR keeps like the whole time he kept on talking about I've called these guys match for years when he like did that shit with Kevin Barnett on whatever access, yeah, whatever it was. It's like, no, dude, Kevin Kelly called this shit like live. He was there in Japan. You were sitting in a studio in your basement, like I am right now. And <laughs> but no, it's like it was just so fucking annoying. It's like, no, let Kevin Kelly talk about these new Japan guys, and you just shut your fucking trap and go have some barbecue sauce, you old fuck. But, anyways. Uh, yeah, a whole big rant on Jair. Um, this match was awesome. It was also awesome that uh, Claudio won, but not the neutralizer, not the swing, not the uppercut, but the Ricola bomb, yep. which we haven't seen in years. And Ricola, and you know who they did let call that though? Kevin yeah. Kelly. Kevin Kelly got to call the Ricola bomb, which was only right, but uh. Yeah, uh, great match. Loved it. Hey, with 3.75. I gave this match in my head as we were talking about it. Three and a half stars. Probably would have been a little higher had ZSJ got a little more offense in, but it was a great time. And get Claudio getting everything. I just, watching this match, I just really was like, God, I wish this would have been Daniel Bryan. Brian Danielson. Brian Dan- no. no. Daniel Bryan. No. Brian Danielson. <laughs> Brian Danielson. <laughs> Brian Danielson. Son of a bitch. God damn. I know. Like, I questioned myself after I said, I'm like, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. Uh, Love seeing Cesaro get I to wonder, debut, though. Obviously, this match will happen. The Brian Daniel, Danielson, Brian, son, uh, American ZSJ Dragon match. ZSJ. Yeah, it'll happen. I'm like, and uh, like, we have a DVD that we got from. Uh, Wrestle crates, the PW crates that actually has a match from when they wrestle in Germany. 
years ago when Zack Sabre Jr. was like real skinny. And he's skinny now, but he was real skinny back then. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just thought, like, there's no way Claudio could lose this match. Nope. Zack Sabre Jr. wasn't going to win the match regardless. But it would have been a better match if it was the other way around. Yeah. For sure. But this was a good match. And it was a good way to bring in Claudio to the company. And I love that he's part of the Blackpool Combat Club. And also yep. love that he's in Blunt Guts. I don't 100%. love that Blunt Guts is on Dynamite and not pay-per-view, though. Anyways. Yeah. Can't have everything. Uh, we can't. I mean, they give us too much as it is. I don't know why I complain sometimes. But anyways, the next match was for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. And it was a fatal four-way between Adam Cole, Bebe, Adam Page, Hangman Adam Page. We got Kujitsuka Okada and Jay White, who is the champion. And, yeah, I, I loved this match for, like, a lot of different reasons. Um, I love the fact how... Like, it was teased on Dynamite how Adam Cole was going to hit Jay White with the belt. And the whole time, like, Adam Cole was the ringleader between them. Like, he was, like, and they, like, like Kevin Kelly brought this up on commentary. Like, Jay White's the leader of the Bullet Club, but he's taking orders from Adam Cole and, like, all this stuff. And, like, I just like the fact, like, how Adam Cole's like, we need to work together because if we work together, that's the only way we can win this match. One of us can win this match. And so, like, they were going along with it until Adam Cole, like, until Jay White turned his back on Adam Cole and Adam Cole, like, went after him. And his ex, I don't know, you're far away, so you probably couldn't hear what Adam Cole was saying, but, like, you could hear him screaming on the broadcast, like, this is because you embarrassed me on Dynamite last week. Which is really funny. But, like, this match was really cool. Like, like you could tell how, like, like, how in the know this crowd is. Because even though they love Adam Cole and they love Jay White, they're playing along with, they're the heels, we boo them. And we got Okada and Hangman who are the faces, and we cheer them. And, like, that's refreshing when, like, crowds will play along like that. And it's, like, how it should be, I think. Like, even though, like, Adam Cole and Jay White are probably higher in my favorite wrestlers list than Okada and Hangman are, I would, if I was in that crowd with you, I would have been booing both those guys and, yep. and I would have been cheering. But yeah, this match was awesome. Um, everybody was getting their shit in. I thought throughout the match, like there was a time that I thought Okada had it one. I thought it was time Adam Cole had it one. I thought it was time Hangman had it one. And then you had the end where Adam Cole like collapsed from the rainmaker but like was legit concussed or that's the rumor it's like no one ever really came out and said like what the injury is but like i don't know which is really weird because then jay white uh took out okada and then rolled him out of the ring and then automatically like just i don't know it was really weird and i felt like i don't know what the finish was supposed to be i'm kind of interested i i feel like that was the finish. Like what was happening right there was supposed to be where the match ended, but like it just went wrong at the wrong time. And yeah, I don't know. Um, I kind of felt like I was about to give it a 4.25, uh, 
up until that like awkward finish, and I like bumped it down to a four. But it was a great match. Jay White had to win. They couldn't change the title here, obviously. And plus, he just won it like two weeks ago. Yeah, it was a great match. I really liked this match. And Kevin Kelly also put over on commentary that in Japan they don't usually have multi-man matches for the belts so like this is a very rare fatal four-way for the iwgp heavyweight championship so i thought that was also really cool because i never really thought about it before but he's right it's usually one-on-one and occasionally you'll get a triple threat but like yeah yeah. and like i can't remember in recent memory or like since i've been watching new japan that there was a fatal four-way for a singles title and yeah i thought that was pretty cool this match was awesome i gave four stars yeah, this this match, the entrances alone were worth the price of admission. Just seeing all four of these guys come out. Um, I mean, Adam Cole, boom. It's just, it's wild being. Adam Cole just, I don't know how he does this with entrances every single time. He somehow just has the most over entrance of every wrestler who's ever been a wrestler ever and just gets it. Him coming to the ring He's- is wild. Dude, he's Triple H. I'm telling you. Like, his entrance is Triple H, but it's different mannerisms. Like, it's the same formula, though. He comes out. He stops on the ramp. He does his thing. Like, Triple H will do the, like, swig of water. He does the Adam Cole, like, stance. And he walks down to the ring, times out his music just like Triple H does, gets on the ramp, does the thing, looks down, and instead of spitting the water, he does the boom. Then he gets in the ring instead of Triple H doing like his arm thing in the corner. He does the Adam Cole baby. It's like it's the same formula. Like I don't know this for a fact, but I bet you growing up, his favorite wrestler was Triple H. Probably. And then Adam Page coming out, like his transformation just on a big stage. He it's it's wild hearing that cowboy music and cowboy shit's a great chant. It's. Also crazy thinking about how last week we watched the Ring of Honor show from five years ago where we were at with Tom and watching that and then seeing his match against Silas Young and Dynamite and then seeing his match, this match here, like it's in the last five years, has there been a wrestler that has grown more than Hangman Page? I mean, probably not. Yeah, you're really, it's hard to say anyone because a lot of the other guys on that show were already at or near the level that they're at. I mean, Jay White, obviously, since he's on that show as well. True. That, that is a good, that is a good one. I still think that Jay White's not as mainstream as Hangman. I think that will give Hangman the edge. But I do think that Jay White holds the most entire important title and wrestling i always consider the iwgp heavyweight championship the like that's the title that like if you hold that title you're the champion of wrestling in my opinion so but i still feel like hangman page is a bigger star he had the biggest growth i feel but yeah that's that's a good one i I don't even know why i didn't think about jay white we just watched him too yeah and then seeing jay white get to come out to the full switchblade entrance and then okada i know we got to see it on wednesday but I mean, in the full, like, his new, like, sumo, like, traditional gear coming out. And, I mean, I really wanted the dollar bills to come down, but, of course, they didn't. I don't know if the yeah. United Center said that nothing could come from the rafters. Maybe that's that's why we didn't get the snow either. But uh, it was still great seeing it live. But the and Young the Bucks still got their ribbons, though. That's true. I mean, they're the Young Bucks, though. Yeah. I mean, they're EVPs. Yeah. 
But yeah, and I mean, the match itself was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, when Adam Cole pulled the backstabber on Jay White, that was a hell of a pop. Like, we all saw it coming, but we were just waiting for the moment, and it was perfectly timed. Like, it was as Jay White turned his back. Like, it was so well done. And then, yeah, the only weird part was the finish of the match. And you could tell something was weird with Adam Cole. And then Jay White knew it, apparently. Like, he saw it, so he just pinned Adam Cole. I think you're right. I don't know if there was we were right at the finish, but we were definitely within, like, the next minute to two minutes that finish was coming. There was not much to go of that match, but I think there was a little bit more. And it felt weird. And it definitely, the crowd could feel that something was off immediately. Like, as the match finished, you could just feel yeah, like... It was, it was quiet, like, when... Yeah. Like... Because everyone's like, what the fuck's going on? Like, because you could see that Adam Cole didn't get hit with the move. And then then all of a sudden he's getting pinned. It's like, why is he knocked out? So, like, I think it was like, what the fuck's happening? Like, obviously, this isn't supposed to happen. And And it was a smarky-ass crowd. And it's kind of lame that... It's also kind of lame that this is the way you're ending the IWGP Heavyweight Championship match. Yeah. And so I think it was more of a yeah, smarky, like kind of entitled, like wrestling crowd that kind of, it, it felt like from what I got, it kind of felt like an angry silence. Like it was weird. It was, and I kind I of felt it was like as angry, angry as it was confused. Like we were all yeah. like really just like, what the fuck just happened? Like it was a well, what the commentary the fuck team was really confused too. Like they didn't even know like what to say. And then they just kind of like basically recapped what happened. Like basically said like Jay White saw something and that's why he went for the pin on Adam Cole. Yeah. And that's that's what a smart champion does. That's what they kept on trying to put over. So uh yeah, I, the match was great though. Great fit for it. Four stars is what I gave it to. I mean, it would have been a four point two five without that like wonky finish. I think if we would have gotten Maybe, to the actual if finish, it would have been a four or five. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe if, like, yeah, there was a minute left in that match, it would have been a 4-5. But, yeah, Jay White was always going to win no matter what. I completely agree. There was no way they were changing uh, the New Japan title on American soil right after Jay White just beat Okada for it in defining fashion. And then we get to our main events. See, and this and is the point of the is... show where I, like, even said to the guys I was with, this show is clipping along. Like, I, got, and I wasn't looking at my phone or anything like that, so I didn't really have a gauge of time. But, like, being there, I really felt like the show was, like, at a breakneck pace. The main card was, I believe, just under four hours long. So, I mean, wasn't as long as Double or Nothing. So that was that was a plus. But, I mean, I still feel like the sweet spot's three hours. This show, I would have, uh, like, made an exception for because of the fact it's just basically the whole time in my head all I can think about it, this is just Ring of Honor War of the Worlds but on a grander stage it's the same thing Ring of Honor was doing like five years ago but just on a bigger stage which makes it even more awesome it makes it more glorified and it should be but uh, yeah I think it was just under four hours it was like 350 maybe something like that but Main event time for the interim AEW World Championship between John Moxley and Hiroshi Tanahashi. 
Hiroshi. I don't know why I said Hiroshu. I was thinking of Hiromu Takahashi, and I got both their names like put there. We go. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, this match, I was kind of bummed about the dynamite match. Like Tana was moving a little gingerly, and he was in this match too, but like he's not as like he's definitely had his injuries over the years and they're starting to catch up to him and stuff like that. And he doesn't have many more years left in the ring. So that I actually feel really honored that I got to see at dynamite him wrestle. I can always say that forever that I got to see him wrestle, which is awesome. But uh, I don't know. I feel like this match might've been a better match. If it was Tanahashi versus CM Punk, the original plan, I feel like CM Punk's style is more to Tanahashi style Whereas John Moxley's a brawler and doesn't give a fuck and don't do anything. Like the Tanahashi CM Punk match would have been so psychological and like had a way bigger potential of being a five star match than this one ever had. Yeah. 100%. That being said, I still really enjoyed this match. There was a lot of good stuff that happened in this match. Um, like I really liked the fact when it started, it was the crowd was more 50 50 between Tanahashi and John Moxley. By the time he got to the end, it was a hundred percent behind Tanahashi. Yeah. Like it was, and like Tanahashi was feeding off that energy too. Like that was one of the reasons I feel like he wasn't moving as gingerly towards the end because like he was like you could see him just feeding off of this. Oh, yeah. And like it, it's it literally like, felt like he was some kind of like Power Ranger or something. And as we kept chanting or a Tinkerbell, as we kept chanting and clapping louder, he looked more and more like Tana of old. Like it was wild. Like this match, I'd say the first half of this match was pretty lame. Like it didn't get going like to like about halfway. And once it got going, like it was crazy. Like you had the table spot, like Moxley put him through a table and uh, somehow Moxley got busted open and he didn't just get busted open. He was bleeding. Oh yeah, like, he, he was he for sure did everywhere. it the hard way, guaranteed. Because we were watching. No, it yeah, from our... no, 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 no. He it was a blade job. Like I spotted the, yeah. like he went under the. That's what I meant. The hard way. Oh, yeah, he yeah, cut yeah. himself. Yeah, yeah. The hard way is you would have got yeah. hit. In the... yeah, yeah, I spotted when he went under the ring apron yeah. and bladed. He yeah, he bladed himself way too hard. He yeah. pulled uh, Eddie Guerrero of Vince McMahon blade job right there. Where like, oh man, he was bloody, and yeah. like, I was worried for him for a minute. Like, but. Yeah, he drinks like, blood. He's fine. He's got more blood I, than the rest of us. Yeah, but like he can't like bleed to death. <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, once he's like, I don't know. We're weird. We were preconditioned to blood and wrestling because of the time we grew up in. There's a lot of people that don't like it because they may not have grown up in the same time as we had did and stuff like that, and it's different. And so, like a lot of people don't understand how blood can make a match better um yeah. in this instance it didn't make it any better it just i didn't feel it was necessary um but uh yeah he's bleeding a lot uh yeah there was that uh moment where he had him in the bully choke and i thought tana was gonna go out there and he didn't no um, we all thought the match was over at that point too and then we all got real loud and tana came back yeah, it just it was it was a good match. It ended with uh, paradigm shift Tanahashi, and uh, like as I predicted, John Moxley is the interim champion. But yeah. I did kind of like 
I heard your argument a few weeks ago, and I do kind of agree. It might have been better if uh, Tanahashi was the champion, and then we would get that CM Punk Tanahashi match. This match was it was good. It was good. I give it three point seven five. Yeah, I I think this match definitely. I completely agree that the first half of this match was kind of slow. It wasn't like very exciting, and then once Tana did the kind of you know. Blackpool combat style stomps to Moxley's head and then Moxley rolled out and cut his own head and was bleeding everywhere. Then the match really just ramped up to 11 and never really came down. And that last little minute stretch where uh, he kicked, uh, Tana kicked out of a paradigm shift and then got out of the bully choke and started going on a little bit of a run. Like for a second, everyone in the crowd felt like, oh fuck, we're actually gonna, gonna get to see Tanahashi win this match. And then Mox hit that other paradigm shift and he took him down. And the crowd definitely, there was like a second where we all were like, oh, like you could definitely feel the whole crowd just like, damn it, Mox won. But then we all like got behind it. Whatever, it's John Moxley. He, the first ever two-time champ now, like two-time because he's the interim champion, but whatever. Still like kudos to him. He deserves it. The match itself, yes. it was, you know, a lot of fun. I would definitely say this match probably like a three, seven, five. I, I felt like, because I knew it had to go last, but in a lot of ways, I wish they would have let the show close with the IWGP match. But then with, you never know, Chaos Theory, if we would have had the same finish to that, then, you know, it really would have gone out on a weird note for Forbidden Door. So I guess you just don't know. I, don't know. I feel like anybody in the company that they could have put the interim title on, like John Moxley makes the most sense especially after coming back from going to like treatment and like bettering himself and like the run he's been on in the last six months since he's been back um, being basically the leader of the Blackpool combat club. I don't know. I mean, I know that actually like William Regal is the leader, but I feel like out of the wrestlers, I think the number one guy in that like faction is John Moxley, even over Brian Danielson. So, I don't know. I feel like in a pinch, that is the right call. I mean, obviously, he's going to lose CM Punk because, like, the way it works for Tony Khan usually is, like, CM Punk was going to get his run, and we're not going to take that away from him. And I agree with that. I think CM Punk deserves a run with the title. So, yeah, I'm I'm okay with it. I just – then there was the aftermath. Oh, did you uh, star rate this yet? Uh, yeah, I gave it uh, three seven five. I want to say. Right. Yep, that's what I did too. And then the aftermath we talked about at the beginning was the same way Dynamite and Rampage ended with the Blackpool Combat Club and Jericho Appreciation Society brawling on the outside for like I don't know a few minutes, and it just yeah, enough is enough. Like. We don't need that. Like, this isn't WCW 1999. We don't need to finish our shows like that. It just, I don't know. It it was very underwhelming to what could have been a really good moment in the pay-per-view, like you said earlier. The handshake between Moxley and Tanahashi. That's where you sign off and say, good night, everybody, and bam. Like, you have a good taste in your mouth. This kind of leaves, like, ugh. Like, what a great show. But that last part was just, like, why? Why do we need that? Like, I don't know. It, yeah. I mean, it really was a great show. 
I, yeah, I don't have really anything negative to say about this show besides JR being on commentary. And, but the positivity I have that Kevin Kelly was there, like, always it because there was something that happened earlier I forgot to mention during the FTR match. His excitement of FTR winning the IWGP World or the Heavyweight Tag Championships uh, and being able to call more FTR matches in New Japan, like, yeah, he was like a kid in a candy store. It was like he was super excited in that moment. And, yeah, Kevin Kelly, I wish – I wish they could get him on the AEW commentary team. I would miss him in New Japan, too. He's like, there's no way it could work out for both. But, man, like, if he was in AEW, that would be so amazing. You know what? Keep him in New Japan. Just bring tomorrow to AEW. There you go. That would be both, both, best of both worlds. There you go. Make it all better. Uh, at the live show, we did get a little more stuff after the cameras quit rolling. Uh, clearly, the rest of uh, the Blackpool Combat Club came out and ran off the uh, Jericho Appreciation Society. Uh, we also had Eddie Kingston once again. Who knows? Is Eddie Kingston no pro wrestling's fake? I still am on the fence. But we had Eddie Kingston basically go, fuck you guys. I'm not coming down there because clearly they had Claudio in the ring. So perpetuating the well, entire person he hates more had. than Brian Danielson. <laughs> yeah. Per- perpetuating that feud that's been going on for eons, it feels like, since they've been feuding since the beginning of time. But yeah, so he wouldn't come to the ring and then literally walked up to the ramp, basically turned around, screaming like, fuck you guys, and just walked off while the rest of Blackpool Combat Club celebrated. And we got a nice little John Moxley speech, uh, putting over the crowd, putting over Tanahashi, putting over just Chicago in general, AEW. It was actually a nice little speech after the show. Really got the crowd going. And yeah, it wasn't actually too much of a bitch getting out of there. Uh, as a whole, I loved the whole show. And definitely being there always puts a you know a different spin on everything. It's much harder to not enjoy a show if you're actually there. And I, I don't know, just the crowd was absolutely electric the entire time. The only time they were like down is when... Dax looked like he was injured and apparently really was injured. And then that Thunder Rosa match was the only time that I really felt like the crowd was in any kind of lull. Besides that, it was just balls to the walls, crazy stuff left and right. I would give the show a solid 4.25 out of five stars if I had to rate the whole thing and put it all together. In your opinion, what was better, all in or forbidden door? In a lot of ways, it's hard to go. See, I always said that all I would be the best wrestling show I ever saw in my life. But with the actual in-ring quality and it being in a bigger uh, you know, stadium, like we were in the United Center this time instead of the Sears. Is that where we were, where were we for? Yeah, that's what it was called. Now it's the Now Arena. Yeah. But it. I think Forbidden Door might have been a little bit better. Just like maybe by a smidge, by a smidge. I mean, obviously, I have, I wasn't at Forbidden Door and I was at All In, but like looking at it from an outsider's perspective, I can see making an argument of how Forbidden Door is better, but I still think 
All In was better for the fact the importance that it had for wrestling. We wouldn't have had Forbidden Door. That was the original Forbidden Door. I also feel like... I don't know. I Like I said earlier, this was just... This was Ring of Honor War of the Worlds, like, amped up on a bigger stage. Um, I also feel like this wasn't AEW's best pay-per-view ever. I still say that was uh, all out last year. I feel like top to bottom, like, the wrestling was... But, like, they, there was things on this card, like the Thunder Rosa, Tony Storm match, that was just meh, you know? I don't know. I'm saying being there, I do agree that All In will definitely be remembered by history 100, 100% more than Forbidden Door will be. Like All In was one of the most important things in independent wrestling history. And there's no arguing that. But I don't know, just being there, the match quality, even with it being a Thunder Rosa like squash match and the crowd being down for it, the crowd was still hot. And everything else on the show, like Sting jumping off that entranceway, like... I literally hadn't seen, I was, I thought about it when I was there. The last time I saw Sting, I was 10 years old. Okay. That was 24 years ago. And this motherfucker is wrestling in AEW, jumping off of 15 foot rampways. I don't know. The way I look at it is there will be more forbidden doors. There will never be another all in. They might call a show all in, but like we know that. There's truly only one all in because no show will ever mean the same. Like there's rumors that there uh, is going to be another forbidden door still in 2022 and they really want to do it in Japan. And I say, fuck yeah, let's do that. If they can make it, it work with the, like, cause I know that Japan's starting to lift some of their protocols. If they can make that work, do it for fuck, do it. But like you thought forbidden door was over, uh, at the end of the show, but it wasn't because on Monday night on raw, like AEW invaded Monday night raw and <laughs> yeah, walked in through the forbidden stuff. door. And like, it was weird. There was this guy named uh, Daniel Bryan, who looks a lot like Brian Danielson that uh, was on there. And then big show. I remember that guy. They have a guy in AEW that's named Paul white. That uh, looks very similar. Pretty close. And then Chris Jericho. What the hell? We're a traitor. Just John Cena, baby. Doo, 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 I know. Well, I think it's cool, though, that, like, Tony Khan don't give a fuck. You know? Like, yeah. Like, this is wrestling history. These guys had, like, big moments in their career because of John Cena. Like, and they're obviously friends with John Cena. Like, yeah, let's... Let them pay their, like, appreciate And John Cena kept wrestling alive during its dead period, whether you liked him or hated him. Like, John Cena carried professional wrestling for a good eight years. and a decade, probably. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Tony Khan gets it. and But it's more weird that the WWE would promote their rival company's top stars to like be on their show you know what i mean like they didn't say like aew's brian danielson it said daniel bryan and stuff like that but like everybody who's in the know knows 
So, like, I think it's, yeah. But also, I think that's the way it should be. Just like a couple weeks ago at uh, Slammiversary. What you call it? What? Slammiversary. Yeah, with AJ Styles. Like, AJ Styles was TNA. Like, oh, so yeah. on their 20th anniversary show, you can't not have AJ Styles be a part of that. So yeah, like, that was really nice good, that they let him do good that. Good on WWE for realizing that and not being dicks about it. And like the one time they wanted to borrow uh, Ric Flair and they had to give up Christian for a night. Yeah. Weird trade. Weird trade. Weird trade. So, I mean, right the forbidden there. door is real and it is open. Like, and it's for all companies. So since like, so WWE actually like went through the proper channels to get permission to get these wrestlers, you know, to be on their show. So Tony Khan was okay with that. Why don't, what's going to stop them from saying like, Hey, how about next year at WrestleMania? We do Roman Reigns versus Kenny Omega. I mean, it's worth an ask, right? Seriously. I mean, if by some manner Vince McMahon ain't there next year's WrestleMania, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities. I think, I mean, I'd be really excited for uh, Roman Reigns' uh, rock match, like that's rumored. Like, seriously, I think it'd be a great match, but I'd be way more excited for Roman Reigns versus Kenny Omega. Yeah, but the rest of the world will not agree with you. (laughs) I don't know about that. The wrestling like, world will, but the uh, rest of you know. Pop oh yeah, yeah no, no, no. I, I, I got you now. I thought you were talking yeah. about wrestling fans. Like I was gonna say, with Roman Reigns where he's at right now, coming into WrestleMania as like a champion for two and a half years, versus Kenny Omega. Even though you know he wasn't like obviously Cody Rhodes would have to like interfere and screw Kenny Omega over something. There'd be great stories to tell with this. Hey man, get FTR back for a night. Get uh the revival like. If, oh, yeah, like, echoed across those speakers, I'd lose my shit. What if they had an AEW WWE Super Show? That would be nuts. The Ultra Forbidden Door. Forbidden Door Ultra. That would be nuts. I'd watch. I'd watch. Oh, yeah, for sure. First time WWE's on pay-per-view in how many years? I mean, I don't think, like, I think the casual fan, like, People that never even watch wrestling be like, oh, these, these two companies are having a show together, two right. biggest companies. You know how many like pay-per-view buys they would have? Hey, once again, they're leaving money on the table but not doing it. Just need one piece to fall, and then maybe. Hey, and for the first time ever, it's pretty it could happen. It probably won't happen. It's just man, like I, I don't know how he's still with the company. Still coming out on Monday Night Raw. Uh. Hopping down the stairs like a happy little clown. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Whatever. Forbidden door is open, and uh, Okada tweeted that he closed it, but no, no, he didn't. Nah. Can't put the two. Like, once that door is open, like, yeah, once that door is open, like, I don't know how it's gonna get closed. This isn't Kingdom Hearts, all right? There aren't keyblades flying around where I can use the magic to lock the door back up. Door's fucking open, bros. Yeah, video game references. Forbidden Door, though. Pay-per-view. Awesome. Do you have any End thoughts? <laughs> any, other, no, any other thoughts on it since you were there? Um, Let me see. What else? I, not, uh, I mean, it was just great being there. I really wish you could have been there, Diesel. It's the only thing that would have uh, added anything more to it for me. 
But yeah, being there live, seeing everything just go down was absolutely wild. I mean, just from beginning to end, it was just such a good time. It the beers were weren't cheap, but they weren't insane. They were only at 13 bucks a pop, which is, you know, pretty standard for a stadium here in the Midwest. So I wasn't gonna lose my shit. And yeah, I mean, the people I was with, the everyone there, I just I just wish some of the injuries wouldn't have happened. I do wish that a Kenny Omega was there. I do wish a Brian Danielson was there. I do wish a time bomb was there. I do wish, uh, you know, stone Pitbull was there. There's a lot CM of people. Punk. CM Punk. I wish could have been like so many, but I got to see so many others. I'm just being greedy. It feels like, like, like you complaining say about the that. show was cursed. I mean, 2022 like is cursed. Like with whatever's happening with all the new stuff and all these injuries in the last like month, like the only bright side about all these injuries is now you have the ability to attempt to make new stars. WWE will not. They brought back uh, Brock Lesnar. And as Russell talks, keeps on saying Brock glass in case of emergency, which <laughs> is just dumb. Like, I can't believe they brought back that guy. The face Roman reigns again after they just, Roman Reigns took the title. Uh, I, I don't even have to explain it. You know it's dumb. Everybody knows it's dumb. It's ridiculous. Anybody else, anybody else in the whole company would have been better than Brock Lesnar. Anybody. They have so many people on that roster. Could have done could have done with anyone. Hey, you could have brought Cesaro back. I mean, I would have been like, I wouldn't have been happy. I would have been happier if they would have brought Braun Strowman back to do like it would have been better like it would have sucked it would suck balls but it would have been better than to see i'm not watching SummerSlam because the main event is brock lesnar versus roman reigns and that was one of the selling points for me to watch wrestlemania because i wanted to see that match again but now i don't want to see it again now i don't want to see it again garbage Garbage i don't know what else to say so if you want to like end this show we can we can do that all right (laughs) woo uh, top rope topics, aka hashtag TRT closed. Chad, hit that sound effect so we can get on out of here. As always and forever, that sound means it's time for final thoughts. So, Diesel, what you got for me this week, my man? Well, this weekend is 4th of July weekend, so uh, that's pretty cool. I got Monday off because of the holidays, so I get a three-day weekend. And, yeah, we don't really have anything planned because we don't know what anybody's doing, so we just kind of left it open and are playing it by ear. So I'm sure we'll do something. My parents usually like to have, like, a barbecue or something like that, so sure we'll end up doing something. But uh, other than that... Next, like, every other weekend in July and almost every weekend in August, you yeah, pretty much have, like, something planned. So this weekend, I need to do a little bit of – I need to trim some trees in my yard. So I thought maybe uh, I'll do that maybe on Saturday or Sunday and just make a – just become an old man. Like, a little yard work house. Saturday, Sunday for you, huh, Diesel? Oh, yeah. And then uh, maybe uh, break out the little fire pit and they can burn these branches. 
Oh, man, you're turning into your six-year-old father. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, except I'm, I'm busting out the marshmallows so I can make s'mores when I have fire. My dad usually doesn't do that. Nice. He'll have s'mores if they're around, but he's not going to go out of his way to grab the marshmallows and roast them. I am. I haven't, I haven't had a s'more in a long time, and it sounds delicious. I had a s'more last year when I went to uh, Emily's family's cabin. It was the first time I had it in a long time. I actually had two. I had one the original way, and then one that had a Kit Kat on it instead of uh, uh, Hershey's. And, oh, my God, it was delicious. Ooh, I do love me a good Kit Kat. But, yeah, so 4th of July, uh, not going to be watching the hot dog eating contest because that's disgusting. And... So <laughs> but I do want to see if Joy Chestnut uh, wins again. I'm always interested in that. I don't want to watch it, but like it's very, it's very impressive how many hot dogs that guy can eat in like ten minutes or whatever it is. Oh. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. What do you got going on this weekend? Uh, let's see. This weekend, uh, as I just had a even, I had more than a three day weekend because I took off Saturday and Monday, and so thus I've been off for five days. But I got to work uh, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday we were actually going to go to Summerfest because we were planning to go to Summerfest for Justin Bieber. Don't get at me, people. I don't care. And then we were also thinking about going to Summerfest for Backstreet Boys, but Justin Bieber had to cancel because he's got that weird virus that is affecting his, like, attacking his neurons in his brain. And then Backstreet Boys is right in between us going to a Mallards game Thor, Love and Thunder, and then our good friend Kelsey's wedding. So maybe doing something on that Friday in between those two things is a little much. So we're not doing either of those. So on Saturday, we're going to see my wife's favorite band, Third Eye Blind, who is playing at the headliner for one of the side stages, not the amphitheater. How many times has she seen them now? Uh, that number is a lot, and it's definitely in double digits. How many times have you seen them with her? This will be my second or third time. Okay. Have you seen them before without her? I probably saw them like on a Summerfest tour or something like that at some point, I'm sure. Interesting. Yeah, I don't have any plans on going to Summerfest at all this year. I mean, I went to AJR, which was at Summerfest Park a couple weeks ago. So I kind of feel like I went a little bit, but not really because it wasn't the whole festival. But yeah. I don't know. Um, so that's pretty cool. Hope you have fun doing that. Um, I guess that's my cue to uh, do the social media stuff. So, Diesel, do the social media stuff so we can get on out here. You can follow me on Twitter at Diesel underscore VFTR. You can follow Chad on Twitter at Chad's underscore mind or at VFTR2PO. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram by searching View from the Top Rope Official. We're on YouTube at View from the Top Rope. You can send us emails to viewfromtoprope at gmail.com. Be sure to follow Visionaries Global Media on Twitter at VizGlobalMedia. Send your podcast to be reviewed and added to the network. And send them to visionariesglobalmedia at gmail.com where you will be heard on podcasting platforms such as Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Podknife, Potable, and I believe I didn't say 
SoundCloud. There it is. Got them all. Bam. Passing it on to Chad to close this mofo out. Yes, yes. And so many others. And I'm sure I won't be able to cut out all of that. So sorry, folks, for hearing my daughter's screams. She wanted more of her bottle, so I had to make more. But on that note, make sure that you remember to like, comment, share, and subscribe. Whatever podcasting platform you're listening to us on helps more people hear this. Hey, just search Visionaries Global Media or VFTR 2.0 in a search engine. You'll find us on a podcasting platform you enjoy. But as always, I have been Chad. He has been Diesel. We thank you for listening to this madness that we call a podcast. Hopefully we got you through that boring work day, that workout that we're so proud of you for finishing, or whatever else you happen to be doing today while you're listening to us. Remember, be kind to everyone out there. We're all just humans trying to survive on this spinning blue orb that we call Earth. Don't be a dick about it. Just no need. And always remember to climb up high and enjoy VFTR 2.0.